Hey guys, Bill here. Welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. We have Will Brinson of CBS Sports, one of our most frequent guests, one of our best guests, coming on in a moment to talk about the Monday and Tuesday night football games. But before we do that, and before we get into today's episode, I wanted to remind everyone about another ESPN podcast. My friend Mina Kimes, who you probably know if you've listened to the show before, hosts the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny, the best football show featuring a woman and her dog. Mina talks all things football with her unique brand of humor and insight. So be sure to download and subscribe to the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny, as well as the Bill Barnwell show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. All right, joining me now here on the Bill Barnwell Show, as promised, regular contributor to the show. I would say one of the most frequent contributors to the Bill Barnwell Show, and that's there's a reason for that. He's great. We love having Will Brinson on the show. Mr. Brinson, how are you? I might add that to my bio, frequent contributor. No, I don't know if I could. Like, I don't know whether how to do that, Bill, when you, when you do your bio. Because, you know, do you, like, I've, I've written something that has appeared on Yahoo.com. Mm-hmm. I never worked for Yahoo.com. So you don't, you don't want to, like, oversell it. You know what I mean? But mm, I, I will say, at one point in my life, as someone who had contributed one article to the New York Times, I was happy to put New York Times writer very prominently in my biography. So I don't, like, I, I think you're, you're doing it the right way, but I'm doing it the thirsty way. No, no, I think I do include it. No, I, I think I'm doing it the thirsty way, too. Like, I have written something. I re- I've written one fantasy story. That appeared as a, it was like a tester piece, I think, for ESPN when Matthew Barry left his site to go to ESPN. Oh. And they had like two spots that they could bring guys with them um, in terms of like actual writers. Uh, I didn't get one of those spots. It is fine. Um, I ended up going to Fan House anyway. It worked out. You know, right. right. It worked out fine. Um, but I, I had like one article that appeared on ESPN. It was like special to ESPN.com. So I don't know if that, like, does that count? I think it counts. There was a dude who wrote one thing for Grantland and then yelled at me for like years about stuff. And he was like, I'm a fellow Grantland writer. And uh, I, I looked and I was like, you wrote one thing. Like, why are you like, like, it's fine. Like, I appreciate that, but maybe you just don't curse at me. Right, uh, right. Don't on, yell at me and be like, as a fellow Grantland, yeah. like, as a like, fellow like, Grantland founder. Right. Like, like, you know, like, I appreciate, like, we wrote for the same place. It's fine. Just be nice. Just, just, right. that's less than I learned. Just try to be nice. Right. Good general well, rule of thumb anyway. Good general rule of thumb. And as we look at these two games on Monday night, I want to start with this because we all love a good controversy. One person who may not have felt like he was being treated all that nicely on Sunday night was Drew Brees, Mm. quarterback who has come in for some criticism this season, including by uh, yours truly here. A guy who's played pretty well, I thought, 
the last two weeks after I wrote the article. Their Packers game, I wrote a graph after the Packers game. I thought he was good in the Packers game. I thought he was great against the Lions, which you might say, well, they're the Lions. In this game, number one, we saw Drew Brees struggle early on, throw a bad pick before, I think, playing pretty well through the second half of this game. Actually, let's start with that. I'll get to the second Drew Brees question in a second. But first, <laughs> first, in terms of this performance, how do you think Drew Brees played overall? I think that Drew Brees, I'll say this is the nicest thing that I will say about Drew Brees' performance. Uh-oh. And this is going to be a backhanded insult. Um, <laughs> I think that midway through that game, Drew Brees came to the harsh realization that he no longer possesses the same the, the same physical attributes on a scale percentage that he possessed three or five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I thought that you could see him starting to adjust to that in the middle of the game. It really felt really? like in the second half, you could see him instead of trying to make the throw that he used to be able to make to make a different type of throw with a different mm-hmm. angle, a different trajectory. Interesting. Comp- compensating for the lack of velocity on his throws. And he's never been the world's hardest thrower. But, no. you know, I mean, they've been scaling down or scaling back their downfield passing for years now. True. And, and moving to shorter passes, heavy Michael Thomas, a lot of Alvin Kamara. And, and that's fine. You know, they, they know this is coming. I mean, he almost retired. Um, it, it, felt, it feels like a, a less cliff folly version of 2015 Peyton Manning to me. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, I could buy that. And, you know, I think you can make that offense work. It's just the margin for error is really small. You have to complete a super high percentage of your passes. And Drew Brees was about 70% in this game, so he was pretty close. Um, yeah, I, I agree. You know, I, I do feel like he is in a position where, you know, whether he's seeing those throws and not making them or not wanting to make them or not even looking for them, it's hard to say. You know, we don't get to see what his actual progressions are. We don't know what his, what the play call is, what the actual progression is. I think Drew Brees is still an incredibly smart quarterback. I think he's smart enough to sort of make those decisions for himself. Um, and I thought overall, I mean, if the Drew Brees we saw in the second half is the Drew Brees we see the rest of the year, they're going to be fine. I mean, Drew Brees was not yes. making a ton of deep throws, but he did hear a deep throw when the Chargers rushed three and they forgot to cover Jared Cook downfield. Like, he's going to hit those throws because if you give him a wide open window, he's going to hit it. But uh, the narrower windows, I would be a little more concerned about. But the second question I had for you, Will, was in a crucial third down in this game, third and, I believe, goal? Was it third and goal? It was third and third and no what was it it was a late in the game third and four from the chargers nine yard line the chargers are winning 27 20 there's 59 seconds to go sean payton takes drew Brees out of the game <laughs> puts in Taysom hill who had i believe had an ugly play earlier in the game that led everyone on twitter to say what is sean payton thinking with this Taysom hill stuff Taysom hill comes in rushes off the right end for a nine-yard touchdown to tie the game. After the touchdown, we cut. they cut to Sean Payton, who uh, was – Drew Brees kind of got in his ear a little bit. You don't know if it was about Taysom Hill. don't know if it was about anything. Could have just been about, hey, what are we doing? We're running a two-point play. Do you need me for the two-point play? But I will say Drew Brees did not seem especially thrilled. <laughs> I, I don't want to 
cast aspersions. I know that every athlete is competitive. Do you think that Drew Brees was upset that Sean Payton put Taysom Hill in the game on third down in this crucial moment? And should Drew Brees, Will Brinson, have been upset? I think that Drew Brees can be less upset, Bill, than he should have. If, I think it's weird if now is the time that Drew Brees is upset. If you're going to be upset at Sean Payton, if you're going to be miffed at Sean Payton, if you want to MF Sean Payton's ear on the sideline as you're watching uh, this very poor man's version of you, like a, like a, like a little gadget, you know, like you're watching it. You're, you're a Hall of Fame quarterback. You're being replaced by a gadget guy. Mm-hmm. Do it the last three years. Why are you waiting until now when, when your play is clearly diminished? I thought it was insane in, in the moment to see Taysom Hill in that spot on third and four when we know what Taysom Hill is going to do. You need nine yards for the touchdown. Mm-hmm. There's not much time left. You're trying to win the game. and You're trying to tie the game, excuse me. And, you know, it wasn't third and, third and goal at the nine. I mean, it was third and four. So you, you have to figure Sean Payton liked the play call and also knew that Taysom Hill is probably likely in that spot to either A, pick up the first down, mm-hmm. or B, get really close to where you have a fourth and short, fourth and short, and you still can get a first down. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's the logic and it paid off well for him. I want to, I want to imagine that Drew Brees is like, you lucky MF. I cannot <laughs> believe that just worked for you. <laughs> like, that's I how mean, I imagine Drew Brees. About the, or maybe Drew Brees said about time. One of those works, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Drew Brees is showing him the tweets from people yeah. on yeah. the sideline. Like nobody thinks, look at this surface tablet. He's well, like, look the- at this. Brinson thinks you need an intervention. Yes. <laughs> Mina Kimes is posting gifts, making fun of you right now. You're getting dunked on on Twitter, Sean. You're going to let, Pris- let that stand, bro? Pete Prisco just dunked on you. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. I mean, you know, it's, it, it's fascinating because I feel like with Taysom Hill, we only get two reactions, which is either Sean Payton is a genius for drawing up this game plan for this you know, quarterback who's 30 years old who somehow makes this work, or he's an idiot every time – Taysom Hill gets on the football field, uh, it, it destroys the Saints' offense. And, of course, I think it's fair to say the truth is somewhere between those two extremes. Do you think it falls closer to one end of the divide or the other? Oh, by, by, by the way, one tweet that I like, because I know that um, – so Mark Sessler of NFL Media, mm-hmm. uh, sure. I, I adore, is um, had – before the season, I think, had like some sort of uh, – not bet, but like prediction that Taysom Hill would score like 25 touchdowns. <laughs> I think Taysom Hill scored like two or three early in the season. Yeah. And then has since, you know, fumbled a bunch and, and been not very good. And, and he tweeted uh, after the, the, the first play, Twitter middle school ready to beat up Taysom Hill after seventh period. <laughs> <laughs> kind of true. Um, yeah. I, I think that Sean Payton's, I think he has the right idea with Taysom Hill. And maybe Taysom Hill is not the player that he wants that, that like maybe he doesn't have the player that he thinks he has. Does that make sense? Like he, he, and Taysom Hill can do a bunch of stuff. Taysom Hill is a great gadget player. You know, he can run, he can catch. It just feels like, it feels like me in, um, in college when we would do these, you know, play Madden and I would in, like I would take Dante Hall and move him to wide receiver and then force feed Dante Hall at wide receiver because I believe that that would be a great thing because he was so fast and, and it would work occasionally really well with spectacular results, but it would also like diminish the overall ability of my offense to function. 
Yes. I, I see how you could say that. I mean, it makes sense. You know, I, I feel and Dante like, Hall, I don't want to cast aspersions on either because she's sure, a great person. Throw up the X. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, I feel like it makes sense. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens once Michael Thomas gets back. Um, because, you know, I think Drew Brees is going to play better when Michael Thomas comes back. Obviously, getting the best receiver in football back on your lineup is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I feel like seeing the amount of Taysom Hill. Or, or I guess seeing what happens in terms of the taste of Hill usage rate when Michael Thomas comes back will be interesting. And actually, o- away from this game very briefly, let me ask you about Michael Thomas as well, because I feel like that's a really fascinating question in its own right. We're sort of seeing the beginnings of rumblings, or at least, you know, I, I don't think there was a pro football talk story today about it. The idea that the Saints might be better off without Michael Thomas, whether it be for uh, most likely off-field reasons as opposed to on-field reasons. Do you buy that at all? I mean, are you putting any sort of stock in that idea that Michael Thomas is not going to be a long-term member of this football team? No, I, I don't. I don't. I don't get that. And I'm not. Florio. Uh, Mike Florio is, does a great job at what he does. Mike Florio also is always willing to explore many different avenues as it relates to uh, things related things in the NFL rumors in the NFL. Mike Florio is not afraid to explore uh, rumor, rumor avenues in the NFL. And, and that's, it's fine. I mean, I think, um, you know, look, maybe, I mean, maybe the saints do have issues with Michael Thomas. Mm -hmm. It would be weird if they did because they just paid him. Um, But, you know, before the season, Thomas was, very upset about the Drew Brees situation and mm-hmm. what Brees said about the national anthem and, and taking a knee and, and protesting before games. So mm-hmm. it's also weird because, uh, you know, he has, he just signed a new contract, but as Florio pointed out, um, if he was suspended, it would, it would make his guarantees null and void, which right. would be real fascinating. But to me, Bill, I cannot fathom a situation where the saints with their all with this version of the Saints, where they're all in on Drew Brees in this final year of the season, final year of his career, in, in all likelihood, um, and they're trying to make a push for the Super Bowl, that they would feel that they're better off without Drew Brees' number one security blanket, the slant machine, Michael Thomas. I agree. It's 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 sad that he took the slant machine uh, nickname away from Odell Beckham, but you know what? Odell has to earn it. You can't just sit in that nickname forever. Well, um, Odell's really more of like. I mean, he just like has Michael Thomas ever jailbroken a slant? That's just not what he does. He just gets twenty yards at a time without, you know, and catches nine point eight yards or something. Yeah, it catches like eight ninety eight percent of the passes thrown in his direction. It's a very um, valuable tool, but I mean, it's a very valuable tool. I agree. Um, on the other side of this game, the Chargers, unsurprisingly, to someone who has been a Chargers fan for a long time, like you and I, had a twenty to three lead. Did not hold on to that 20-3 lead. We're in position to win the football game after a spectacular Mike Williams catch. Mm. And Michael Badgley missed the 50-yard field goal. Hit it off the upright, maybe a few inches in the other direction. It bounced The inside in. of the upright. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, now, go ahead, sorry. This is nothing new for Chargers fans. <laughs> They've seen this before. But let me ask you, Will, in, in, in sort of looking back at how the Chargers played this game, do you sit there and say, well, you know, they just didn't execute, and if they just kicked the field goal, the game would have been over, and they should have won the game, and so 
you don't really take fault in what they did, or do you take fault in what the Chargers did after they uh, after they had that twenty to three? Do you think that they did not do enough to sort of close this football game out? Yeah, I, I definitely think they failed to do everything they could have done. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think they. And I'm not surprised by this. And this is sort of how Anthony Lynn wants. I mean, this is, they came into the season wanting to get 16 games out of Tyrod Taylor and play defense and, and run the football. So if, if that's the case, you know, presumably you, you are going to operate a conservative offense that runs the ball a lot. I mean, we, that's how, you know, Anthony Lynn was a running backs coach before he took over as the interim head coach in Buffalo. We know that's what he wants to do with this offense. So that's not surprising. But I think inherently when you are, running that kind of offense, you are setting yourself up to, you know, to be conservative when you have a lead like that. And we saw, I mean, we see, you know, they, they had leads against the chiefs and the bucks and the saints. And those are good teams. Like they, mm-hmm. you know, they've done a good job of getting those leads. The problem is for me, when you have a situation where you get leads by taking deep shots with Justin Herbert and then you decide to stop taking those deep shots in, the, in favor of trying to run out the clock, mm-hmm. you're doing yourself a disservice. Like, you were taking deep shots when the Chargers, when the, when the Saints weren't, when the Saints were expecting it. Mm-hmm. Take one when they're not. Mm-hmm. Like, Justin Herbert, it feels like their offense right now is run the football a bunch, and we need Justin Herbert to make plays down the field with his arm. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's working but is it sustainable? I don't know the answer to that because you, you can certainly nullify it. Like to a degree, you can nullify just how many hits he can take down the field. Mm-hmm. It's true. Now, you know what I'm going to say though? Look at this Chargers roster. The other thing you know, if you're a Chargers fan is that you don't get to see your whole team healthy for even one play of an NFL season. And right now the Chargers are without, I'm going to read the whole list of the names here. Derwin James, Chris Harris, Drew Tranquil, Mike Pouncey, Austin Eckler, Melvin Ingram, uh, Trey Turner, Ryan Balaga, Tyrod Taylor, Jaleel Adai, and then early in the game against the Saints, they lost Keenan Allen, their top receiver. I mean, should I be frustrated with Anthony Lynn because the Chargers have been uh, sloppy? I mean, this is a team that, that blew uh, a lead against the Bucks because they ran a draw play with 30, 40 seconds left in the first half and the Bucks had a timeout inside their own 10-yard line and fumbled. Uh, what happened with the Chargers this week. Um, they ran a draw play on first down in trying to get set of the field goal. They did. They were very bad managing the clock late in the game on that final drive. Took a ton of time off the clock, didn't use the timeouts, and then lucked into a miracle throw <laughs> from Mike Williams or from Herbert to Mike Williams on third and one. And then didn't try to move the ball with eight seconds left. Uh, or should I be complimentary of Anthony Lynn for having his team in position to beat the Saints in New Orleans with like 10 great players not playing. I know our, our buddy Greg Rosenthal <laughs> tweeted out this list of guys that are missing. You're like, oh my God, that's insane. You're like, and Greg forgot to include Mike Pouncey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I mean, it, you know, it's, it, it's crazy. It's injury luck as, as you and I, as a lot of people know. I mean, injury, injuries are uh, a, a, not a skill. Injuries are luck. It happens in football. Guys are going to get hurt. Year after year over year, you're going to see some regression to the mean, except it just doesn't happen with the Chargers. No. And they also have a doctor who stabbed Tyrod Taylor in the lung with a painkiller needle. 
So I don't know. Maybe it's not luck at some point. It, that's not the point. For Anthony Lynn, I think we give him credit. I think, I think it's both. I think your answer, the answer to your question is yes. Because I think you have to give him credit for how they prepare. Mm-hmm. And you have to give him credit for the offensive game plan and the aggressiveness of having Justin Herbert take shots down the field and targeting Marshawn Lattimore, who's you know, been an all-pro cornerback in the defensive rookie of the year. I mean, this is yeah. a, a – you know, he hadn't had a great year, and the Saints defense might not be good anymore or might be trying to figure things out. But they got aggressive, and they went after the Saints defense. But then we also have to ding him because, again, you, this is what got you there. You got the lead by doing thing A. Thing B keeps costing you games. Mm-hmm. So at some point, stop doing B and keep doing A. I, it's not that complex. <laughs> right? I, would, I, I would love to just have like uh, two piles of things in front of Anthony Lynn. And, and thing A is just like money and like newspaper clippings about what a great coach he is. Chocolate. And thing, yeah. And thing B is just like a big pile of poop. And you're just like, <laughs> like stop. Stop grabbing the poop. Like, don't, yeah. don't get the poop. Just don't do it. You're smart. Do you want the money or do you want the poo? Exactly. Exactly. I think Anthony Lynn is a good coach. I just think he has some issues when it comes to late game management. Some coaches don't figure it out, but Ron Rivera got a lot better um, eventually in Carolina and it helped them turn things around. So hopefully Anthony Lynn sees the light as well, but uh, did not help them in terms of their performance against the Saints on Sunday night. The Monday, or sorry, Monday night, excuse me, because we had a Tuesday night game in the NFL. Shudder to think, fear the future of a Tuesday night football game for those of us who are already watching games Thursday, Sunday, Monday. All right, we'll be back talking more football with Will in a second. But first, now back to the show. Tuesday night football, the Tennessee Titans and the Buffalo Bills, Tennessee 42, Buffalo 16, a blowout victory for Tennessee. Now, I don't think anybody was expecting tennessee to win by 26 points but will let me ask you were you surprised to see tennessee win this game whatsoever uh, i was bill and by the way uh, contractually i'm not allowed to refer to it as tnf or i will be electrocuted by joe bob <laughs> um it is tunf uh, <laughs> I, I actually think we will get in trouble if i call it like tnf even though it is technically tnf um i was i was shocked and i don't I mean, in hindsight, I guess I wish I'd known that the Titans were treating um, <laughs> this as an us-against-the-world situation. Yes, weird. Like, yeah, I mean I, I mean, I guess I should have known that because all professional athletes do that with all situations. <laughs> but, like, That's you true. guys violated COVID protocols. It's not like, it's not like the, you know, the, somebody threw corona at you, you know? No. <laughs> this was sort of self-sustained. Like, it's a, you know, it's a it self- It doesn't like it's your fault. Right. It's not. Yeah. It, it's a little bit like when the Patriots are like, no one believes in us. You're literally the favorites every week. Yes. And the favorites win the Super Bowl. Stop it. It's a lie. Yes. But credit to you for, for coming up with it. If I'd known that, I probably would have been more inclined to not wager heavily on the bills. And um, it happens to us. It happens to the best of us. It happens to the best of us. Fortunately, the overcast on a wild ending. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ryan Cannell <laughs> was probably not behind the line of scrimmage but they didn't have uh a view i guess that could disprove it so they gave him the touchdown that was a freebie um i, I would say this the thing I, my biggest takeaway from this mm-hmm. is that i think we've seen a pattern now over the last few weeks where young quarterbacks with big arms and an ability to run 
mm-hmm. who have not fully developed as passers have been perplexed or at least had their skills mitigated by team by opponents playing zone defense and just dropping a bunch of dudes into coverage and trying to rush three or four. We saw it with the Titans against the Bills. Mm-hmm. The Vikings did it to Deshaun Watson. The um, Somebody did it to Russell. I think the Dolphins maybe tried it with Russell Wilson, and it worked mm-hmm. a little bit. Sure. And the Patriots did it with uh, Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. And the Chiefs did it with Lamar Jackson. And it mm-hmm. seems to me that like, basically the Titans were, said, all right, look, man, if you want to run for five yards and then slide, we're going to give it to you. If you want to dink, dink and dunk to Stephon Diggs, we're going to give it to you. And then we're just going to score more points. Mm-hmm. And Josh Allen was – not MVP Josh Allen on Tuesday night. He was, he was hesitant to pull the trigger in a lot of tight windows where he wasn't. He, there, these defense, the defensive approach here is basically let's – and I was actually on the PFF podcast with Sam and Steve and talking about this, and I thought and so I'm going to steal Steve's line here, but it's like make these guys be patient and, and win the way that Tom Brady liked to win for so long in New England. And that is a hard ass for a guy like Josh Allen. It's just not what he's used to, right? Right. You know, he, I wants, think Josh, he wants to drop bombs. Of course. And he did a couple times in this game. Sure. The, touchdown, the second touchdown was awesome. I mean, that was like a, uh, you know, a rocket of a throw. The one to Yeldon, or, right? Yes. But even then, he was like sort of late on it. Oh, sure. But like I mean, Yeldon was, Yeldon's like waving his hand in the end zone before Allen fully realized it, that there wasn't a Titans defender. And he's like, all right. Got to go. Engage rocket. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, for sure. I, I think that's fair. And I think, you know, um, Josh Allen is certainly used to teams sort of challenging him and saying, hey, we don't think you can throw the football. And he's proven over the past month, you give Josh Allen chances to make throws, he's going to hit them. He's good. Yeah. I mean, you know, he could just turn back into a pumpkin. He could turn out being the guy who was mediocre in, in 2018 and 2019. But the guy in 2020 has been excellent. So, you know, I, I do think Tennessee sort of put the game on him to, you know, sort of take his big plays out of the way. And Josh Allen still did make some plays. Uh, for some reason, the Bills' offensive line, their defensive line, especially their offensive line, could not stop committing false starts. Josh Allen ended up in third and forever, it seemed like, a bunch of times in this game, which is not ideal. They missed John Brown, too. I think yep. it's fair to say. I mean, John Brown gives them another weapon. John Brown was a legit number one wideout last year, and I think it, you know, Stefan Diggs is great. I think against Stefan Diggs, but having Stefan Diggs and John Brown and a healthy Cole Beasley, which Cole Beasley was not healthy last night, makes things a lot better. They lost Dawson Knox to an injury during the game. Um, so they were missing guys on offense when it came to the receivers for uh, Josh Allen. They also didn't have the services of Quentin Spain last night as well. But on top of that, the Buffalo Bills defense is something I think we need to talk about now because Josh Allen has rightfully gotten a ton of attention as a superstar caliber quarterback through the first four games of the year. One, one mediocre game doesn't make me change my mind. Doesn't, no, doesn't like, like the four games of Josh Allen where he was playing like a star didn't wipe away what he did in 2018 and 2019. But one sort of mediocre game doesn't wipe away what he did in the first four games of the year. Like it's all no, just- No, but I'm also definitely still going to text Pete Prisco about it. You, know, you should no right. no one no one's no one's blaming you for the that, he's that's been true. he's been he's been like like Vince Cartering me for four weeks so you know that's your God given right right I'm gonna, I'm gonna at least like shoot a couple of jumpers back why not no no one's gonna blame you I think Josh Allen would even approve of that if you asked him uh, but 
the defense. Mm. Currently, according to Football Outsiders, DVOA statistic, they are 27th in DVOA. They are tied, Will, with the Atlanta Falcons defense Mm. in DVOA. The Atlanta Falcons defense is a theoretical concept that doesn't actually exist (laughs) in real life. And now, I will be fair. The Bills have been without Matt Milano for a couple games this year, including the game on Tuesday. They were without Tredavious White, who to me is the second best cornerback in football. Yep, They were without Tredavious White on, on Tuesday. They're still 27th in DVOA. And a Tennessee team that was missing a bunch of guys due to COVID that had not practiced together for much time at all over the past couple weeks that has Derrick Henry averaging fewer than four yards per carry. They got shredded in this game. I mean, Tennessee was, or Tennessee was 21 to 28 for 195. Not huge numbers, but super efficient. Always seemed to find the way to get the, you know, to, to make a completion when he needed to. Um, Derrick Henry was not super effective. He was 19 to 57 for three yards of carry, but the other runners in this game were effective. And, the Bills didn't help out, of course. Allen had the interception. There were a couple short fields. But, I mean, this was a game where the Bills' defense would have expected to play really well. You know, they're a, a more together unit. They have more practice time together. Even without Tredavious White, you'd figure they were going to play well. They were overmatched in this game. They have not played well this entire season. So, well, are you concerned about the Bills' defense? Or do you think once they get Milano back and Tredavious White back, they're going to be fine? I think with all defenses this year, Bill, we have to really operate with a grain of salt and even more so than in years past about early in the season, because you know what, like Indy and Tampa, I think are good defenses, but I don't know for sure. Baltimore, I think is a good defense, but I don't know for sure. Chicago, same deal like New Orleans. And by the way, shout out to uh, Aaron Schatz and uh, football outsiders for the much more expedient updating of the, Yes. Of the DVOA. Like when you cited the 27, I was, I was looking at it too. And I was like, that's actually, that's actually updated. Game <laughs> was last night. Amazing. Um, but like, by the way, New Orleans is sixth. New Orleans uh, is sixth in defensive DVOA. That's true. Okay. Um, sure. <laughs> I guess, but I guess that sort of fits with it. Like, I don't know that we can, def- I think this off season is so weird. Mm-hmm. That I, I, I really think, in, even when talking about who's a contender and who's a pretender for the 2020 season, I think we almost have to wait until we get a little bit half past midseason to see how these defenses kind of coalesce uh, once, we, once we start to see an improvement on that side of the ball, which I think we should see, you know, once we get further than five weeks into the season. I just believe with the way practices have gone and certain teams have been limited, mm-hmm. uh, certainly in the offseason, they didn't get, you know, no tackling's been down, and, and they're not calling holding calls as much as your, as your colleague Kevin Seifert pointed out. Mm-hmm. I, I think good defenses will have a chance to come together closer to midseason. But, yeah, you have to be concerned about the Bills' defense because right now these injuries are not the sort of thing that, that I, don't, I don't think that McDermott's current personnel and current scheme can cover up. If you're missing those linebackers, they are going to get eaten alive. They don't have this monstrous front four that he sometimes had at Carolina where maybe you could get away with it. And, and a lot of times they still, you know, when, he was, when his defenses were dominant in Carolina, they had Thomas Davis and Shaq Thompson at the back end, I believe, and, and of course, Luke Keekley. Mm-hmm. So it stands to reason that without these linebackers, 
And in fact, you know, if you think about where he came from with, you know, Jim Johnson's group that they had in, in, uh, in, in Philadelphia, I mean, they you know, always had good linebackers or stout safety play. Um, if you're missing those stars at that second level, I just think this defense is going to suffer from, from, from a lack of ability to stop the run or a lack of ability to, to, to minimize what people do uh, on, that, on that short and intermediate area. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't help that your top cornerback, Josh Norman, no longer has a soul. Oh, Derrick Henry stole it on, on Tuesday night. I, I just think this is a, it's a defense that can get better if those guys are healthy. But I don't think that being healthy for a full course of a season is guaranteed at all in 2020. Mm-hmm. It's never guaranteed, but 2020 feels like it's just going to be even harder to recover from injuries because of the lack of an offseason. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely a strange season. And I don't think anybody would have expected the Bills to be this bad, even with uh, Lewis. They, they, they might just have to lean on their offense, which... Kind of surprising, I think yeah. it's better to say. But I look at their roster. Look at their, sorry, their roster. Look at their schedule, I should say. Over the next five weeks, interesting group of teams they're going to face. The Chiefs on Monday night, which, hey, if you don't have Tredavious White, you don't have uh, Matt Milano, your defensive line is under, underperforming. I wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors. Yeah, that, that's going to be a tough one. Yeah. The following week, they get, the, uh, the, they, they get what amounts to the professional buy. They play the New York Jets. Wouldn't shock me if they got right for that game. But then the Patriots, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals uh, in Arizona, who are struggling, but still the Cardinals can, you know, at, at their peak, they can move the ball over their next three weeks before their week 11 bye. So if you are Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, you know you have a, a, a bunch of tough defenses, or tough offenses coming up, Jets aside. Do you just sort of trust your team and, and stick with what you have? Or are you maybe looking and hoping maybe to find something in the trade market if you can maybe add a, a front four piece? Yeah, I think that would be a smart move if you're them. Now, one of the things uh, for my for the Pick 6 podcast, we talked to a writer from every team, and Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic came on. Awesome writer, does great work there covering the Bills. And he pointed out that a lot of what McDermott and Brandon Bean did this offseason was to target familiar faces. And they've, they've done that anyway. You know, it's like Carolina North or whatever. Same with the, the Giants to a degree. Um, but they wanted to try and bring in players that they knew would buy into their philosophy and their system and, you know, that weren't going to rock the boat in this weird offseason where, you know, you're not going to – you can't have a free agent in for a lengthy visit and find out about him and find out if he fits and all that. You're sort of trusting what you already knew. And so maybe, and I'm trying to think, I mean, I don't know if they're going to trade for James Bradbury, who's been very good and would be a great fit with him across from Tredavis White. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to think, like, you know, who who might make sense for them to trade for? The Panthers now all of a sudden don't look like they're a team that would trade. So I, I don't know who would fit that mold that they want to, would bring in. But, yes, it makes absolute sense to try and go out and make an improvement uh, via the trade market. Yeah. I mean, you know, if they can find a, a thing that works, I think they should go for it because, you know, I mean, there's Jerry Use coming for criticism. Ed Oliver's coming for criticism. They don't have uh, Starlet Jalele who opted out this year. A, a, a deep defensive line still, but maybe not with a guy who's playing at a super high level. And so um, – you know, Brian might be tough just because it's, it's such a big salary. And the Giants, you know, Dave Gettleman is at least trying to pretend like the Giants are about to start contending sometime soon. Hey, they only are two games out of the NFC East 
uh, division lead, which is scary and sad for all of us who are NFC East fans. But uh, I, I, I do think, you know, adding a, a piece could make sense. Um, you know, Terrell Suggs is still out there. This could be the team that adds Terrell Suggs and wins the Super Bowl uh, because that's apparently obligated to have happen during <laughs> the season. I mean, you know, I, I feel like there's options there and I feel like they should at least be open-minded because especially if they lose to the Chiefs and they are suddenly, you know, still in good shape at four and two. But, um, you know, the defense is getting picked apart. I think that's something that would concern me uh, if I were Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. Um, in terms of Tennessee side of this game, we'll finish up with their side of things. I mean, obviously, we talked about how silly it was to have the sort of us versus them strategy. Uh, but they were, we were sort of out. ticked off, Ryan Tannehill yeah. said. Like, really? Okay. Taylor yeah. Juan was talking about it, chatting about it. You know, I mean, uh, you guys can think whatever you like. But I will say this much. Over the next five weeks, uh, four games for Tennessee at home. Houston, Pittsburgh, at Cincinnati, hosting the Bears, hosting the Colts. Not out of the question that Tennessee would be in contention for the number one seed in the AFC. Wow. So, Will, do you think they can keep this up? One thing that is fascinating to me, Bill, is, in, you know, point differential is a big deal. Like it, sure. How you beat teams and, you know, you're, you, have, you need to have a positive point differential to beat teams. The Titans came in with a plus six point differential through three games, which mm-hmm. leads you to believe that three and oh, they're probably a little bit of a fraudulent three and oh. Sure. And the Bills came in looking like a dominant four and oh team. The Bills leave that game four and one with a negative three point differential. Look, it's like, oh, are they fraudulent? And the Titans are, are four and oh plus 32 point differential. I don't know. It's, I just find that kind of interesting. But yeah, I think Tennessee is. Tennessee is just good, and it is, it's kind of crazy that it looks like the guy, the one guy from Bill Belichick's tree who was able to establish a culture that at least sort of resembles what New England had, albeit with a different type of attitude, is, mm-hmm. is not, a, not a former coach, but a former player of Bill Belichick's in Mike Vrabel. Yeah. And you can hear that from what these guys said. I mean, what, like, whether or not like, th- like they didn't, they didn't get mistreated here because everybody blamed him for, you know, having co- like, you know, breaking protocol. Like they, everyone thought they almost ruined football and that, that was kind of fair, but Vrabel has created that. All right, let's get a chip on our shoulder here. Let's go out and play. Let's be physical. And they have players across the board. They were missing plenty of dudes um, because of COVID protocols. And yeah, I don't think it's crazy at all that they could beat the Steelers. They should beat the Bengals. They should beat the Bears. They, that game against the Colts will be fascinating. And they, they're one of the few teams that have shown they sort of have – and the Texans, of course, they should, you know, they should take care of business too. But, um, you know, they have sh- they've shown an ability to beat the Ravens in the past with their defensive scheme. So, mm-hmm. sure. I mean, it's – they can – if they go on a run here and they get guys healthy – and it turns out that, you know, not practicing and not playing for three weeks or whatever it was, all of a sudden gave him a little bit of a rest and a chance to get right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why not? I mean, it's, you know, stranger things have happened, right? I, I, it just, I, I guess it's like that. It's the Carson Wentz seven interception anchor, right? With Tennessee going nine and seven each of the last four years. <laughs> right. Or uh, Alvin Kamara's uh, catches per year. Alvin Kamara's catches per year. Another good example. Uh, I mean, I don't want to believe that they're going to go five and seven the rest of the way. 
Right. But maybe maybe fate dictates that they have to finish nine and seven and just have to go on a stranger path to get there. But you know, to me, I think, you know, this team has a formula. They've had it for a year now since Ryan Tannehill took over. And for that year, it's worked. I mean, and, they're going to it's okay. No, no, I was just gonna say that Ryan Tannehill has regressed, but he's still he's like 80% of Ryan Tannehill last year, or maybe like 85%. And if that's the regression, if he just goes from, you know, I mean, 70% completions, 9.6 yard per attempt, 117 quarterback rating, down to 68.9% completions, um, 7.6 yards per attempt, and 110 quarterback rating while still using his legs, mm-hmm. that is, that is, that's not, that's not going to sink the offense. Like that regression will not sink what, what Tennessee wants to do, especially if Henry is running well and A.J. Brown is back doing A.J. Brown things and the offensive mm-hmm. line is, is, is stout again and the defense can start to improve as the season goes along. Now, let me ask you, Will. You watched last night's game. Yeah. You saw Ryan Tannehill run a touchdown in. I did. Ryan Tannehill leaped into the air to celebrate. <laughs> and then Ryan Tannehill landed. When Ryan Tannehill landed, did you believe that Ryan Tannehill had just torn his ACL? I think everyone thought that Ryan Tannehill had just died, including uh, yeah. Mike Frabel on the sideline. Yes. He was like, oh, my goodness. We're throttling these guys, and I somehow just lost my entire season. Somebody get Marietta. Oh, we lost Marietta, too? Oh, no. Logan um, Woodside, next yeah. in line. I know. That is my one concern with Tennessee. Um, I believe this formula can work, but. Ryan Tannehill does not have a track record of staying incredibly healthy. Last year, he was healthy. It's true. But two torn ACLs, nerve injury in his shoulder or elbow, uh, one or the other. Um, but a history of struggling with injuries. A guy who does run a lot, does take hits. And Tennessee's down to Logan Woodside, and I believe Trevor Simeon is on the practice squad. Yikes. That would be my concern because do I think Tennessee is – Usually, it should win the division, probably. I mean, I think they're better than Indianapolis. But when it comes to the number one seed, I don't think you can get the number one seed if your quarterback misses two or three games. And that would be my one concern is that they might be stuck with uh, having Logan Woodside or Trevor Simeon as their backup quarterback for a couple of games uh, down the stretch here. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the quarterback quarterback health, I, w- I would throw in two um, – defensive performance because I know they shut down the bills and they did a great job with it and, and they should be lauded for the work that they prepped for it in the execution because this bill's offense looked like a juggernaut coming in. Yeah. Um, but they did give up 30 points to the Jaguars and Vikings before their long COVID break. Sure. Um, Jeffrey Simmons will be back. Adoree Jackson should be back at some point. So I, I like it's a, it should be a much better defense, but that is a concern for me. The idea that they would, give up those points to those teams and like, like is this, is what we saw against the bills, their defense or is I believe the over under for the Titans Texans game is one of the highest on the schedule. If not the, it's like 53 it's, it's, it's in the fifties. So in other words, there's expected to be some points there, but will, will they, will they seed a ton of points to the Texans next week? And we're wondering, Oh, hold on. You know, maybe maybe this maybe this defense isn't quite there, and or will they just dominate again? I think that's a, a fair question to ask. Absolutely. I mean, this is a team that currently, I believe, has the best turnover differential in all football. Entirely sustainable, as you and I both know. Well, you know, I mean, someone's got to be number one. <laughs> sure. I, 
might be them, but they are plus eight through four games. We will see. I mean, obviously, uh, a lot to happen here in Tennessee, a lot to happen with the Bills and Will, a lot to happen with Will Brinson over the next three or four months. What are you doing on a weekly basis? Where can people check that out? Yeah, so I'm only writing like two articles a week, picks in a sorting the Sunday pile recap, but mm-hmm. uh, we're doing a, a daily NFL podcast, of course, the Pick 6 podcast. People can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get it. And we're doing a daily uh, NFL show from 4 to 5 or 4 to 4.30, depending on Champions League and college football stuff. But uh, every day at 4 o'clock on CBS Sports HQ, which is free on your uh, Amazon Fire, Roku, wherever else you get it. There are many wonderful apps out there. I suggest you check it out. Awesome. Well, you know it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, Bill, you know it's a pleasure to come on and join you. Aw, well, thanks, buddy. <laughs> Anytime, pal. All right, thanks so much, as always, to my guest, Will Brinson of CBS. And guys, I should mention, if you are a fan of my work here at ESPN, if you enjoy the Bill Barnwell Show, there is a chance for you to listen to me do more audio each and every week. That's on ESPN Daily with Pablo Torre. Hop on every Sunday night for the Monday morning show, talking about whatever happened the previous Sunday. Lots of football discussion there. A, a quicker show if you want to get through the biggest story of the NFL day in about 15 minutes. So I'm sure you get to either one story or uh, go around the league a little bit, but absolutely worth checking out uh, if you want to listen to more of me. I don't know why you want to listen to more of me, but I appreciate that you do. And check that out. Check out ESPN Daily and, of course, subscribe to that and the Bill Barnwell Show wherever you get your podcasts and we'll have more audio coming for you next week. So thanks so much for listening.